Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 133. I'm Brooke McCallery. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. I'm Ben McCallery, <laughs> the question person. The question person. Hmm. Hmm. Because this is a hostful. It is. I get to ask people's questions to you. Pose them. You, you can pose them to me, but then I can also pose them to you. You pose back, I a do. repose. I'm, <laughs> I'm a poser. Yes, so this is a hostful. And in today's episode, we will go through some questions that our very valuable listeners have sent through yes via facebook and other means so, what, can i just yeah. interrupt you, yeah it's your show i'm also very good at interrupting no uh, people who send in questions thank you for asking such good questions like every time we open up on facebook for some more hostful inquiries or you know if there's anything that you want to know you always ask really insightful clever questions that have us mm. thinking about things in a different way like i i would love to go back and trace some of my not pivots but you know my deepening understanding of something and i'm quite certain that a lot of the time it would be back to a question that someone has asked me because you ask them in a way that makes us stop and think you know and really and really pay attention to what it is that we're talking about and i love that sometimes we don't know the answer and we're able to kind of build on that over time as well yeah yeah but anyway i just wanted to say that because it, it really makes such a difference that you you ask such great questions and there's a couple of absolute beauties there, there really episode. is stuff that we'll go into that we've never ever spoke about spoken, yeah spoken it, about which almost two years in is incredible mm. you know and so i asked uh, only a couple of days ago for questions on facebook there is no way we can answer them all today no. so for everyone who has asked and if we don't get around to it in today's hostful we've got hostfuls every month so never fear i will you know I'll, we will be putting it in next month's episode or the one after that but yeah thank you just want to put that out there because yeah. it stops it is it is really really good now Today's episode is sponsored by our good friends over at Patreon, as in the good friends who <laughs> donate to our show. Yes, which is really it's lovely. essentially sponsored by you listening. Yes, it's, uh, you know we don't we don't shout out to Patreon every every episode, but I just wanted to say a massive thank you again to people who have thrown a few dollars our way. It helps us to cover costs of hosting and all that kind of stuff, which means that we can get the show out twice a week. And I know there are people who want to support us in a, in a way, but they don't necessarily know how to. This is one possible way that you can support us. But head over to patreon.com slash slow. You can choose to either just pay a one-off amount to show any kind of appreciation, or you can do a monthly donation, whatever it is that works for you. And just know that it makes a massive difference and, and we're incredibly grateful for any support that we get from you guys, no matter what form it takes. Yeah, we really are. We want to keep things fresh, don't we? We do. As well. We do. So um, that enables us to do that. So without further ado. Ado. Let's, get, do. In, let's get into it. Let's do it. So, Brooke, 
Yes, Ben. I thought you were going to say yes, Kelly, then. <laughs> I wish I did. Our first question is around clutter. And it reads, do you find that you are more sensitive to other people's cluttered homes now you have simplified yourself? Mm -hmm. I find being in cluttered homes makes me feel a little anxious and stressed. Are there any tips for dealing with clutter intolerance in other people's homes and even our own homes? Mm, This is such a good question. And I get a feeling that people expect me to be judgmental of other people's homes. Like I've had a few instances of people who I don't necessarily know super well going to their house and having them either apologize or feel highly uncomfortable about my thoughts on their home. I don't ever go into people's homes thinking that at all because people have completely different ways of living. And just because mine and theirs aren't reflective of each other doesn't make one better or not. So I just want to put that out there first and foremost. For anyone whose home I've ever been in or will ever go into, I would never go into someone's home and and feel that way. Um, But I do have a heightened sensitivity, I think, to – it's clutter's the wrong word. Like the example I'm thinking of, we went to a holiday house with your family. That was years ago. It was a couple yeah. of years ago, yeah. And it was like an Airbnb, beautiful home, lots of furniture. Like oh. not not clutter. There wasn't like a lot of stuff, but lots no, and lots. There was a lot of stuff. Was there? There was just a lot of heavy stuff. It was furniture, like heavy yeah. furniture to the point where, and I wasn't the person to bring it up, I want to say that. <laughs> Uh, you had to shuffle around furniture. And I, I, so I find... You couldn't walk through a room. You had to sort of... Sidestep. Sidestep. And, yeah. and And you couldn't just walk into a room. No. No, it was like, it was unusually full do, of furniture. You had to do like a Pac-Man <laughs> yeah. sort of shuffle. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the example that I immediately came to. And I have to say that that does make me feel... Uh, like. Anxious is probably not quite the right word, but I do feel the imposing nature of a lot of stuff in a room. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I do feel that. In terms of how to cope with it, I think first of all, just take the, <laughs> take the approach that people are different, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and accept that you are probably, particularly if you've been decluttering for a while, you enjoy having open space you enjoy white space you enjoy like the emptiness almost of of a a home that has been decluttered with the empty areas understand and accept that that's your preference and Mm. that that might not be the preference of other people and that's going to leave you feeling a bit overwhelmed sometimes i think simple things like breathing deeply really helps in Mm. terms of just Mm. you know that overwhelmed kind of feeling and if ever i do find myself like that uh, that's what I do. I just I kind of breathe deeply and focus on what's happening, not what's around me. Uh, so I'll focus on the conversation that I'm having or the reason that I'm visiting a friend and the stuff stops being an issue. And really, it's only ever problematic, I think, if it's problematic for the person whose home it is. Exactly. Well, exactly right. I mean, there's a few themes here. Everyone's different. Yeah. Not everyone listens to this podcast. Not everyone's a minimalist. Not everyone exactly. has you know, experienced the the wonders and enlightenment of decluttering. <laughs> but some people Firmly don't want to. In cheek, I promise. <laughs> the, yeah, so everyone's different, right? So everyone is different and we need to accept it and, and you know, almost embrace. But I, 
I totally get where this person's coming oh, from. Oh, so do I. I'll be completely honest. I I find it hard not to judge. Do you? I find it really hard not to be smug. I never project it, but I just think. And maybe that's what it's all about is thinking about your own circumstances as saying, okay, this person chooses, but I chooses to live this way, but I don't. Yeah. And it's just that knowledge of, of that. Now, the other issue that this question raises is what about people within your household that haven't gone through the, the decluttering method? Well, that, I mean, that's different, I guess. That's, a, that's a, another whole other thing that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and, and navigated, I mm. think. And we've spoken about it a bit, mm. you know, when someone's got a partner or a housemate who isn't on board, first things first, always deal with your own things. But yeah, so like as you said, like we've addressed this in in other areas, and it takes a while. It, it took me a good twelve months before I became um, even wanting to be to start decluttering my stuff. So before you know, yeah, I mean, you started the process, and it took me a good twelve months to come on board. And we've spoken about that before. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one. I find myself judgy a little bit and i okay how do you stop that how do you not let that how do you not let that run away i I never you know it's an internal of course yeah and i feel bad for doing it but i guess it is that whole thing about well that's the way they they're choosing to live and that's fine right and then you then you let go of like it doesn't bother you yeah okay but if you i mean if you get to the stage where it's actually having a physical response it's Mm -hmm. probably best to sort of stay clear and you know if it makes you feel really really anxious and panic stricken i haven't i'm not that bad but you know some some individuals might experience something like that absolutely people have different sensitivities and if you do find it incredibly overwhelming or really anxiety inducing then possibly try and just avoid there for a while as well but To answer your question briefly, yes, I have noticed a heightened sensitivity to clutter. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's part of the process, process, I think. It's normal. Yeah, Yeah. it absolutely is normal, but it hasn't ever led me to to think differently on someone, I don't think, because people are different. Well said. The next question is from Destiny and... She asks, as I search for my first job after college, I'm noticing that most companies lack a work-life balance. Taking care of myself and living a slow life is important to me. Do you have any advice about maintaining a slow living value while searching for a job in a world that operates at a very high speed? It's a really, really wonderful question, actually. And I like that it's coming from someone who's at a different period in life. Hmm. To us, and we're getting more and more of these questions from younger people, which makes me really excited because and we've spoken about it on a previous hostful. When I was looking for my first job out of uni, I wasn't anywhere near that smart. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't anywhere near that self-aware. So I think first things first, that's amazing and means that you've already got it front of mind. Like you're mm. already considering what can I do to keep, some kind of pocket of slow in a hectic world, in a hectic environment. To just have recognized that is so important. So major ups to destiny for that in, yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. But I think that 
while the conversation around slow workplaces is still seen as so countercultural, we're kind of a little bit hamstrung. There's only so much change or so many exemptions that one person can have if the organization that they're working for or looking to work for isn't on board. So I think that accepting that while still being willing to have the conversations in a, you know, organizational sense is a good place to be, but that then puts the onus on you as an individual in how can you embrace slow in other ways? Mm. Because your workplace might not embrace slowness. It might not allow for any kind of work-life balance. I think of doctors, I think of nurses and police officers. I think of people who work shifts, people who maybe are straight out of law school and have to work. The expectation is that they work 16 hour days. Mm. Nothing about slow living can change the hours and the culture and the culture professions. And unfortunately as an individual, unless you're high up, there's not a lot that you can do either. And I don't say that to discourage you. I actually say it to, I say it to, to encourage you that there are things you can do outside of those constraints. So things like, particularly at the moment, if destiny is looking for work, that's a big job and it can take up a lot of time and a lot of headspace. So I think finding pockets, little moments of mindfulness in her day is a really great way to, to just embrace slow, regardless of how busy life is. So things like, and we spoke about it on Monday's uh, episode, single tasking, we've got little, little tiny moments of paying attention, slowing down, deep breathing, listening to a bit of music, something like that is going to give you just a moment of slow, which doesn't feel like a lot. Mm until you realize the impact that it has on your work day or on the interview that you go to or on how you sleep that night. So I'd really encourage those moments as many as you can find as, as often as you can remember to do it. But then also really simple things that we often overlook things like getting enough sleep, things like uh, meditation, things like eating good food and drinking enough water. Like I know they're boring answers, mm. but there's a reason why they're kind of the foundation of so much of the advice. It's because it has such a massive impact. And I think what happens is when we start to look after ourselves, even in those fundamental ways, we actually have a higher capacity for those periods of intense work or intense job searching or intense study. Mm. And while you don't want that to become the new normal, because that's where you start to run at a deficit, I think, when you're able to fill yourself up and look after yourself well enough to make it through those periods of time without any, you know, detrimental kind of after effects. And I think that that's a, a good place to start as well. I don't know. I mean, you've, you've spent a lot more time in corporate work yeah. places than I have. Uh, what's Do- the pressure, first of all, I guess, and, and how can you carve out some, some time and create boundaries when that they may not be respected by people because you're only new in the job or you're, you're junior. Can I just briefly quote Mr. Robert Dillon? Yes. The times they are changing. I've noticed a huge shift. Have you? In my almost 20 years of being in oh, employment. Wow. You're old. <laughs> around employers' attitudes to work-life balance and to non financial reasons to apply for a job so 
Interestingly, close to 70% of employees in the US leave a company because of non-financial reasons. So those are things like work flexibility, what was the workplace percentage? culture, almost 70%. Right. So only 30% leave a job because of financial right. reasons. So workplace culture, life balance, and employers are, are recognising this now. I remember when I first started out in in a job and I was, you know, in the every weekday, I was expected to turn up, you know, and be present physically yeah. in the office. Look, that could have been the type of work I was doing, but you know, it was everyone in the organisation was expected to do that. Nowadays, and I'm working with companies that, I'm you know, two or three days, employees are working from home. They're working out of office. They're working at a different on off site. Mm. So. Being chained to the desk in some roles, yeah. a lot of them, you know, and it's growing and growing and more. Why? Because of technology and new technology, um, automation, you know, all those sorts of things, robotics is going to make it um, less likely for people to be sort of chained to the desk. Right. So you're so essentially you're saying, I mean, uh, like – have the conversations because there is a lot more you know, to destiny. Have the conversation at least or, or at least don't be afraid of bringing it up. Exactly, know? exactly. Because what you're actually tapping into is the future of work. Yeah. The future of work. Look, rents and office spaces are extremely cost prohibitive for, for a lot of organisations. It's really expensive to have offices and fit out offices. The future of work is you actually s- – you have a, like a work pod in your home. And mm. I've seen them. And I've, I've, I've seen a sort of evidence of this popping up is that you have this little home office out in your backyard. It's like this pod and it's connected to your, like really connected to your workplace, like through a dedicated server and all these sorts of things. Again, only talking about some professions, but these are the trends that, that are happening right now. Mm. Um, you know, stuff like Skype has made it so much easier for people to be at home, working from home and more accountable for home, at home. Um, you know, fast internet speeds, doctors giving you advice, working with financial advisors on having face-to-face meetings through Skype. These are the things that are happening now. It's only going to increase. So, Destiny, I think you're you're in a really good position. It's your first – you're going for your first job and – more and more companies are going to be enticing employees by these non-financial reasons like workplace flexibility, like the culture, like more better work-life balance. So I think you're in a really good good space and keep at it. If that's what you really value, go and look for those companies. You can go on to um, companies' websites. They often now report on uh, their workplace culture. Mm. Mate, know, it sounds like she's done a little. Well, I, mm. I don't know because I'm not sure what what work she's looking yeah, exactly. for. But um, she said she notices she's noticed that most companies lack a work life balance. Whether or not she's doing research in the field that she's looking at, mm. and that's part of the field that she's looking to work in, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, but that's a really that's actually a really good tip. I mean, if you're if you're job searching and some kind of semblance of balance or slow in your work life is important to you, then do the research and go into the interviews, go into those appointments 
armed with information mm. and then you can have that that conversation and look you may still take a job in an organization that doesn't actively support remote working or work-life balance or, mm. or whatever it may be mm. but at least you know that and then that's yeah. a choice you're not blindsided by it and you can build other strategies in so things like mindfulness things like boundaries committing to having a period of time where you unplug you know, and I think that's that's something that people get really frustrated at, that advice. But it's so important because we don't have to, unless, of course, you are actually on call, we don't need to be uh, contactable mm. constantly over the weekend or over our days or evenings off. So I think that even if you're able to commit to a 12-hour period or a 24-hour period where you do not respond to emails or messages, that gives you so much headspace you don't even necessarily recognize how much headspace it's giving you, but to just be off, to mm. just not have to constantly feel like you need to respond immediately is really freeing. And I know we experienced that a bit when we, when we went to Japan, but so I, I mean, boundaries and, and strategies for unplugging strategies for getting out of your headspace in terms of work, finding a, a hobby and, and making time to do that. Even if it's only a small amount every day, that's more than nothing, you know, and it's more than doing it for half an hour once a month when you find that time. So five minutes of something you love every day is sometimes enough to make a difference. And, um, yeah, I mean, there is no one perfect answer, I'm afraid, but I think it's a matter of really just prioritizing that self-care outside of work to as much as possible. Exactly. And it's really hard being your first job out of college. Absolutely. But what I will say, and I, I think I'm in a privileged position to be able to say this, is if you value slow living, mindfulness, you know, those sorts of principles, don't compromise. Hmm. Here's a question. Okay. And it's all about food. Few people have written in about this. Does slow living apply to how you eat? Do you guys eat simple meals? Meat with three veg. Meal time is a huge stress for me, and I figured out recently I'm taking it more more complicated than it needs to be, or making it more complicated than it needs to be. Do you have any tips? Uh... Yeah, this is something that you're pretty passionate about, and I've seen. Uh, just really briefly, I think over the last twelve months you've really stepped up slow food okay why mm. i've just seen a, a, a bit of a shift in your behavior towards towards food right mm. in terms of the food that i eat and prepare and and yeah okay yeah okay you may now answer the question thank you so very much i it definitely applies slow living applies to heaps of areas in our life but i think food in a big way it didn't always i've kind of had an interesting relationship i think with simplicity and food because when i first started simplifying a few years ago i was very much about having to actually it was even before then i thought that rigidity in routine was the key to my success so i would i had like a a pro forma um grocery list saved to my computer and a, uh, you know, a space where I could write out every week's meal plan and baking and like snacks and every, it was 
quite involved, which is very funny because that's actually not me at all. No. But I had been... That's got to be the only thing that you would have done that for. Absolutely. I had been trying really hard to to kind of, I don't know, wrestle some sort of control over my life, which at that point in time was pretty much out of control. And that's why I did it. I'm like, well, successful people are all about spreadsheets and routine. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just nail this meal planning thing. And no offense, Joel. Hmm? <laughs> but, yeah, but I learned a lot about it. I actually really do like to have a meal plan. So I will say that and we do that now, but it is much more relaxed. So you and I will it's sit a, down. It's a meal list, isn't it? Yeah. You and I sit down on like a Saturday or a Sunday. We'll say, all right, what are we eating this week? We'll grab a piece of paper. We'll write Monday through Sunday. Saturday through Monday, whenever, whatever, um, you know, seven days worth of food. And we'll probably list six, six meals. We always get takeaway one night on the weekend, pizza. And they're not set in stone. But essentially what a meal is, because our kids are still quite young. They're fairly fussy. We know what they like. We know what we like. I'm vegetarian. Everyone else eats meat. There'll be a protein and there'll be vegetables. Mm. <laughs> um, sometimes there'll be a carb attached as well Mm. sometimes not that's pretty much how we structure it i'm not big on doing big uh dishes you know i like big i know you do and we we spoke about this on the weekend you cook in a very different way to me i cook in a very practical pragmatic sort of way let's get as much food prepared food as fuel yeah and but i I mean it's not like i cook stodge or you know things that i can Mm. it's not it's not heavy food but i just i just want to get Bang for my buck in terms of when I'm in the kitchen, it'd be yeah. great if I could get two or three meals cooked at the same time. So I've started doing, um, you know, to follow on from meal planning. Actually, let's go back because we didn't really finish that story. So we'll write out our meals for the week and then we will um, write all of the ingredients on our grocery list. Can I just interrupt real quick yes. with the writing out the meal plan? We do this because... Parts some of the time I'm not home for dinner or Brooks out or we're all out or we're we're really busy that that day. We do it because it's almost part of our our whip, our weekly work in progress, is saying what are the heavy load days and we'll manage our plant our meals around those days yeah. so that it doesn't require one of us in the kitchen after a massive day at seven o'clock at night trying yeah. to feed the family. Well, the two nights that we go to yoga classes. We make sure that we have either leftovers for dinner that night or a meal that we can prepare during the day so that kids do. can eat yeah. before we go to yoga and we can eat when we get home That's from it. yoga. Yeah. You know, it just, it's, I don't know, what, 20 minutes of time mm. that really does set us up really well for the week ahead. And it means that very rarely do we get to the end of the day and go, oh, I haven't thought about dinner at all. Like, what are we, mm. what are we having? Okay, well, we're having either takeaway or we're having toast or something like that. That doesn't happen that often. Uh, and when it does, I don't feel so bad about it because, look, you know, life. So we write out our list. We go to the groceries. I will prepare. I'll probably spend an hour usually in the kitchen on a Sunday afternoon. Some weeks it doesn't happen, but the weeks that it does, make it makes all the difference. So I use that time to maybe bake something for the kids' lunches and I put it in the freezer Um, I will cut up vegetables so that we can steam veggies during the week. I will roast a couple of big trays of veggies that we then add to our meals throughout the week. Uh, I might do a batch of falafel, something like that. So that when you guys are having meat, 
I'll have falafel or mushrooms, something like that for a protein. And I keep it really, really simple. So a typical dinner for us in summer would be maybe I'll bake some salmon for you guys. I'll do some sweet potato chips at the same time and a salad. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, it's really dead simple. Our, our meals, I yep. think, compared to a lot of people. Yep. Even though, in some instances, we have to make two lots because Brooke's vegetarian. So on the weekend, I was making a chicken and mushroom pie and I had to make... I had to make... It sounds like it was a chore, but I love cooking. So I had to make little ramekins for you hmm. of just mushroom and vegetable pies, whereas the bigger pie was with chicken and mushroom. So... That's a little bit different because that was what I would call. What do you call? It's a. It's the. It's not a simple meal. It's a big dish. It's a dish. It's yeah. a dish. It's a dish. You a cook prepared, a dish. A prepared dish. And I cook dishes sometimes too, but I'm a big fan of leftovers. So we will usually have at least one night a week where we have leftovers. We'll have one night a week where we have what we call scratch it, and that's like. Let's just make something with what's left in the whatever's left in the fridge. It might be leftovers. It might be pancakes. I, (laughs) you know, I'm quite relaxed when it comes to food in terms of that sort of stuff because I focus very much. I think that's what you were getting at at the beginning of the answer. Focus on good whole foods Mm. probably eighty to ninety percent of the time. So we have to eat vegetables. Our kids, like I said, they're a little fussy, but we've we really have stuck with our attempts at getting them to try new foods. Mm. And it has literally taken years of constant conversations about it without being pressurizing, I think, like without, without letting it kind of elevate to a point of power play mm. which, <laughs> yeah. anymore anyway. And the, uh, that's paid off. The kids now will eat their veggies, they eat fish, they'll eat stuff that, like it's not groundbreaking. They're not eating anything particularly groundbreaking. But for our kids who were fussy, it has paid off in the long run and it makes things a lot easier for us. Yeah, we also freeze a lot of our protein, which means we just shop once. I mean, my mum, God bless her, she for years, and I, I think she still does this, she will get home from work and then go out and buy ingredients to make dinner. That Every night. day. Like that is just exhausting. I don't know how she does it. It's exhausting. It's and so stressful, I think, to, to even, you know, think about Well, it's stressful that. for me, but she's asked me about meal planning before and I explained to her that we do what we do. And she's like, oh, I, I find that stressful. I couldn't do that. She said, I can't think about what I'm having ahead of time because yeah. she likes to think, okay, so it's five o'clock on a Tuesday. What, what do, do I, I feel, like, feel for like for dinner? I can't time. deal with that. Yeah. I cannot. It might change when we're older. I don't know. But she was like that when you guys were kids as well, so... I just figure. I just think that would be a huge stress to, yes. to be able to have to do that every. It'd be like a, just another chore to do for the day. And it's, yeah, for us, it's it's really fast, simple, just to do it once. But anyway, so each to their own. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But you know, in summary, we meal plan. We shop once a week. We do the grocery shopping once a week. We'll try to get to the farmers market if they're on. Otherwise, we just go to the supermarket. Uh, we buy all of our protein, all of our veggies, all of our grocery needs and i try and make the vast majority of our trolley fresh stuff um and 
that's it. We plan ahead. We keep the protein out that we're going to use in the next day or two. Everything else goes in the freezer. I'll chop up all the veggies. I will chop up fruit for the kids' lunches. I'll make something for them like cupcakes or a date loaf or something like that. And I just try and do as much work ahead of time Mm. to avoid that. Because 12 12 months ago, it was more stressful than it is. We've only been doing that. You've only been doing it to that extent, 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. So it is relatively new for us, that extent, that huge prep beforehand. But we've always made lists. We've always, you know, did meal, have done meal plans. Yeah. To some, in some some capacity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I feel like that was a really rambly answer. Most most of our answers are. (laughs) Hopefully it was helpful. The next question is about owning a business. And Meg owns her own business too. And our vacation sounded very relaxing to her. She asked, how do you just unplug or set boundaries to spend time with family without thinking if someone needs something with your business? It's a good question. Uh, And so (laughs) really... The answer is that we don't, we didn't just unplug. A lot of work and preparation went into us being able to unplug over the new year break. So uh, the example of Jackrabbit FM, we communicated with our podcast creators and hosts from from everyone, all all the people who work for us in some capacity. We communicated with them from September, might have been August even, that we were taking the month of January off. And what that meant was everything, you know, and we gave them a list, everything on this list needs to happen by X date. And we kept reminding people of that the closer we got to the end of the year in order to be able to pre-prepare the work that was going out in January so that we could minimize the amount of actual work we had to do. Yeah. So that was the first thing that I did. So it kind of, it didn't, it wasn't something we just decided and it certainly wasn't done on a whim. Uh, and the second thing that we did was kind of in the month before the break, we started telling clients that we were taking January off. We started scheduling and rescheduling appointments and meetings so that they weren't in that period of time. I mean, look, the thing is for us, January was a great time to take a break. Yeah. It was the only time throughout the year that we could basically unplug. Yeah. So we chose that really purposefully. Uh, Just the fact that it happened to be winter in the Northern Hemisphere was even better because that's like our jam. Shocker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But had, had the best time for us to take a month off been July, then we would have taken July as our month. But, the, the industries that we work across, people that you work with, that's the period of time where it's most likely to be quiet and you won't have to be fielding too many emails or phone calls. So that was really intentional. And then we started pre-warning people. Uh, and then the last thing that we did was I put a autoresponder on before Christmas saying that we would be taking time off from, you know, whatever it was of December through to the end of January. Uh, if you... <laughs> have something that you need to talk to me about, email me again Hmm. after January 30, Hmm. rather than text me, rather than if it's urgent, here's a a different email rather than, you know, I will check it and I'll get back to you eventually. Yeah. I didn't make any promises at all and nothing was urgent enough 
for people to get in touch with. And it genuinely wasn't, but it, it wasn't because we'd done all that work ahead of time. We had warned people and scheduled around the break and we'd made the break a time when it was far less likely to be busy. Yeah. Last year we holidayed in April. And it was much harder. We were both working more than we wanted to. Yeah, we were. We were. We, it was just, you know, we were just working because that was just a horrible time to to take a break. Because we just we 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 tried to, and this is the key, I think. It's about managing expectations, managing your clients' expectations. It's managing your own expectations yeah. as well. You are always going to get someone call you when you're on holidays. Yeah, and you did. Yeah, yeah. or or email you saying they need something done. And when you're in your own business, that's just part and parcel of, you know, unless you've got an employee that's not holidaying with you that can do it, you just have to sort of do it. So it's always going to be hard, but it's about managing expectations, about setting it up to limit the amount of disruption or potential disruption that you'd get. Mm. And... That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> no, I think uh, no, I think you're right. The other side of it is that you do just need to kind of understand that this is one of the potential cons of running your own business. Uh, one of the pros of being employed by someone else is that you do get leave. One of the cons of being employed by yourself is that sure you can get leave, but if you're the one answering the phones, if you're the one answering the emails, that's still going to reflect on you to a certain extent, particularly if it's a small business or a solo, a solo kind of enterprise. We don't have staff who work for us full time at this point. We have people who are employed in particular capacities, but no one who could take over the the operation of things. So that was one of the reasons that um, when we spoke about Japan, we actually mentioned there was a little bit of monitoring going on, but it was very minimal, the amount that it impacted us. Um, and it was delightful. So I think, yeah, it was relaxing. It really was. Uh, but it wasn't as relaxing as heading off to Thailand for two weeks of annual leave, working for someone else, not having to That's think true. about it, you know. That's true. The also thing, and it's going to cut, and we're going to steer into the next question here, is that our, our holiday was so active when we look back on it. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't too many. I mean, every day had parts of a relax you know, we were we were in a relaxed state because we were in an onsen, but it was a pretty active holiday. It was, which is actually, it was, quite, pre- it was really cool. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. I loved it. Um, there was just one more thing that I wanted to talk about with Meg's question. Sorry, I want to get back to what you were saying, but I she said that um, <laughs> how do you set those boundaries to spend time with family without thinking if someone else needs uh, something as well? Yeah, which is a different kind of concern. That's the constant yeah, little voice true. in the back of your head, worried what that if, someone needs yeah. you. My phone's off. What exactly. If. Mm. So I think that goes back to partly to your suggestion and encouragement to manage expectations. I think that's absolutely key. And what that looks for dependent is dependent entirely on what your business is, when your peak times are, when your low times are, how much time you've given people to get, prepared for the fact that you're going to go away, but also to understand that in almost every case, the world won't stop turning. You know, your email, they're going to get your out of office email. And even, I mean, look, because you're not going to just leave in the middle of a project. This is what I mean. So 
the most urgent thing could be potentially a new client coming in or something going wrong, which is why I think monitoring and setting up those expectations is the key thing. You mitigate as much of that as possible before you go and people are all aware of what's going on. Look, disaster strikes sometimes. So monitoring is probably is probably the way to make yourself feel the most at ease about the fact that nothing's gone gone bad while you're you know while you're away the only downside to that is it can be easy to be drawn into things so i put boundaries on my time in that regard i did not log on to facebook once while we're away which was delightful and i only checked my email in the morning that's it i didn't respond to anything um and there were days where i didn't check it at all and nothing ever ever went wrong There was nothing that ever came in that needed my response before I got back to the office. So I think, fine, I understand, but also maybe just talk yourself down a little bit saying that the world's probably not going to blow up um, if you do, you know, miss something because almost always people will find a solution in your absence anyway. (laughs) That's so true. Now on the theme of active versus relaxing Mm. holidays. So Emily's written in, and I'm not going to um, read her question out word for word, but it's basically how do you manage holidays when parts of your family want it to be active mm. and full of activities and, you know, um, particularly with kids? Yep. And then the other half of your family want it to be relaxing, lazy, you know, lazily by the pool, you know, the real recharge type yep. holidays. And it, it comes down to also individual preferences because I know a lot of people that actually get a recharge from a really active holiday. Yeah. Uh, I think it's totally down to personal preference and circumstance. I think when our kids were little, my ideal holiday was literally laying on a beach, reading all the books in the world. And maybe having a couple of cocktails at night and not having to think about food yeah. and having someone make my bed. And like, that was it. It was, it was yeah. very much a, a passive holiday. And I think looking back, that's because I was spent. Mm. I was so knackered. And the, I mean, the good thing for us is that we were pretty much on the same page in that regard. And the kids were so little, they didn't care as long as they were with us or playing on the beach or going swimming. They, they had no opinion beyond It was pretty that. easy to keep them active. Very really. easy. And then, yeah. But the other thing is you run kids around on a beach for a few hours in the morning. They're going to sleep. They're going to yeah. watch a movie. They, you know, they're going to give you an opportunity yeah, to, like when they're little. As they get older, it's tougher, particularly if people in your family want, they want to go skiing all day. They want to go... Um, you know, snorkeling all day. They want to go and explore villages and go to markets and go to big cities. And if you're not that way inclined, it can be really difficult. Mm. I think, again, we're we're fortunate because you and I both really get behind the slow Mm. travel philosophy. So even when we went to Japan, where our days were quite full, it wasn't a lot of traveling and sightseeing. They were full of active Mm. pursuits. We went, we walked a lot, we skied a lot. Uh, and when we were in Tokyo, we explored a lot, but we still tempered that with downtime. I mean, it didn't. We didn't go out from dawn till yeah. midnight. Yeah. You know, we'd have a full day, but then we'd go home and just have something to eat back at like, the Airbnb place, or yeah. you know what I mean. So yeah. we kind of tempered it with 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 
slow periods and mm. restful periods. Mm. And I think that worked for us. The fact, I mean, because Emily asks specifically that she's not, she's not well yeah. enough physically to be able That's to it. keep up with all of the activities yeah. that her family also want, want to pursue. And I think in that way, in that, in that case, a compromise is, is probably the best option. It's the only option. But you know what, it, and Emily probably is the same as us, is it's really vital when you go on holidays for it to be a family affair, as in you need those shared experiences. So it's about, um, you know, your, your kids could go and ski while you apre. Yeah. But every day at four o'clock you're going to have happy day drinks you're all going to sit around you're also going to tell stories with one another you're going to have a drink you're mm. going to relax relax and then you might have a meal together but it's set in stone as in you can go off you can do skiing you can huck huck mountains you can go and do 360 <laughs> backflips yeah, yeah. off the 45 foot kicker yeah but you're hardcore. Every day, no, I'm not. <laughs> every day, you know, you've got that setting stand at four o'clock, right? Tools up. Yep. <laughs> Tips up. Poles up. <laughs> <laughs> Unclip. Go down to the craft room at Nazawa Onsen and have a imper- imperial stout. And That's quite a specific example. <laughs> I know, I, that's what I did. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So... If you're not down for skiing or, you know, city exploring or whatever it might be, it's okay to separate sometimes. I think we do guilt ourselves into feeling like it has to all be together all the time. And if if you're not feeling it or someone else in the family isn't feeling it, that's fine. I think mm. the key for a break is quality time together, mm. um, but with an emphasis on the quality too. You know, and I think if you're hating being up the mountain, like I just want to be back by the fire reading a book, then do that. Mm. You know, create opportunities for you to be able to do that, mm. knowing that you will then have the opportunity in the evening or the afternoon to spend time doing things together. Mm. You know, I think, and I think that's really key. The other thing that works really well for us is to ask everyone in the family what one thing do they want to do on this holiday? Yes. That works really well for us because then everyone gets to feel as though they've had ownership of like a moment, a thing that happens, but you're not overwhelmed by 10 different cities to go to and a hundred different churches to photograph and, you know, all these different things that everyone wants. And I think if you can limit it to one thing per person, and use that. Like there'll be more than one thing per person, but if everyone gets the opportunity to contribute to like the, you know, the, the fabric of the holiday, then I think that that's a, a really nice place to start too. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because we did that in Tokyo, and it worked mm. really well. We didn't have a long time in Tokyo, but it worked really well to be able to do that. Mm. Uh, and you know, we had a we had so much fun as well, kind of getting from from one person's thing to the next. And the thing is, like, even. If you're there for a relax, you're not as active. You go to a different culture. That's going to be adventurous. You go, you go to just a different country. You're discovering new things all the mm. time. So everything you're doing is is there's a sense of adventure about it. And I love the fact that when you travel as a family, particularly to 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 countries that don't speak your natural language, you're as a unit, you get tighter because you're just relying on one mm. another to navigate through 
this culture and share this culture together. Not sure where I was going with that, but it sounded good <laughs> in so, my head. Yeah. And that's the other thing I want to say. You learn so much just by immersing yourself in like a local experience as well. It doesn't need to be big, touristy, uh, you know, overwhelming either. I love, and I've spoken about this before, going to a local library of a place that we're staying mm. or finding a coffee shop that's a bit off the touristy trail or, or you know, just finding somewhere a little less full on, depending on where you are, of course. And you get to soak in a little bit more of the place that you are, because that's another way of, of adopting a, a slow philosophy to travel. Even if you're only in a place for a day or two, you really can get a sense of a place of a pocket of a place, at least by spending a couple of hours, just people watching and seeing how things happen and the, the flow and the rhythm and the, you know, the interactions between people. I feel like you get a much better sense of somewhere by doing that than by trying to see all the things, you know, on the, the 10 must see sites of, you know, whatever city that you happen to find yourself in. So I think there's a whole, whole range of ways of being able to, to compromise and to find that slowness when people that you're traveling with maybe don't want to go slow. Yeah. Well said. I think that sort of wraps it up. I hope we hopefully answered majority of those questions well i think phil we have yeah i mean chances are i will i will think of the perfect response in about half an hour every time (laughs) like every time but no that like keep them coming they're such good questions we love answering them so thank you very much for listening until next time have a wonderful week Hi, Puck Pass.